This episode is supported by Vegamore. I'm a month and a half into my Vegamore journey. I don't know if you've ever had a garden and planted seeds, but when that first little growth breaks ground, it's exciting. And on my very head, I can see some new growth in the areas that I've noticed hair thinning before. And it's exciting to see those little babies coming in. I use the shampoo, conditioner, and the grow serum, which have a lovely, mellow, warm citrus smell. I've been consistently using this and it makes my hair feel soft and full. And it's really important to me that I use safe and conscious products whenever I can. And Vegamore is 100% cruelty-free and are never formulated with potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Elevate your hair wellness routine this year with Vegamore. For a limited time, get 20% off your first subscription order by going to vegamore.com slash mind and use code mind at checkout. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind to save 20% on your first order. V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash mind, code mind. Welcome to Mom in Mind. I'm perinatal psychologist and host, Dr. Kat. There's more to the story than just postpartum depression. And this podcast aims to share it all from personal stories and lived experience to experts who break down the ups and downs of life from getting pregnant, pregnancy, perinatal loss, and postpartum adjustment to parenthood. While this is not psychotherapy or medical advice, it is all of the stuff you ever wanted to know about mental health and new parenthood. Welcome back to the Mom and Mind podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. On our episode today, we are hearing from Victoria Vaughn. She's a military spouse and a mom to a beautiful baby boy. She lives in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and works as a small animal veterinarian. She struggled with postpartum anxiety and depression and wants to be an advocate for other women struggling postpartum who may be hesitant to consider antidepressant medications. And as you who've been listening to the podcast know, this is a hot topic. People have a lot of misconceptions about uh, medication, have a lot of fears and concerns about taking a medication specifically for anxiety, depression in ways that they might not, or don't necessarily have for other medical conditions. I'm very grateful that Victoria is coming on to not only share her story, but to continue to help us shed the stigma and misconceptions of medications in pregnancy and postpartum. So let's meet Victoria. Welcome, Victoria. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I am really glad you're going to be talking about your experience for multiple reasons. So let's just get into it and start wherever you'd like to start your story. Sure. Sure. I'll start with, I guess, my labor and birth. So, well, throughout pregnancy, I had a pretty easy pregnancy, I would say. I guess I was lucky in that way. So the kind of tough parts start when I was in labor. I kind of had this vision of what I wanted labor to be like. I wanted like a natural birth, no epidural. I wanted to like have a peaceful labor. I did a lot of hypnobirthing practicing beforehand. Mm-hmm. And it just did not go the way that I envisioned and that's okay. But I was in labor for about 64 hours. So a pretty long time. And it was just really tough, like mentally and physically, I did end up getting an epidural and I felt good about my decision, even though I told my husband beforehand, I was like, don't let me get an epidural. I had a doula. I was like, I, this is, you know, one of my main things. I don't want an epidural. But I ended up feeling really good about my decision just because I was so exhausted and just felt like I really needed it to relax. And it was great. So it definitely was helpful for me. And so that was kind of toward the end of the three days. And I ended up having a normal vaginal birth, no C-section or anything, which was good. That was also one of my fears. Mm. Um, But my baby did aspirate meconium. Mm. So as he came out, When I kind of back up, when my water broke a couple of hours before my epidural, there was no meconium in it or anything. But when I was birthing him, they noticed it on him. So the NICU team had to come in really quickly and help him. So I didn't get that skin to skin. I didn't get to hold him. We didn't get to delay the cord cutting or anything. 
Um, so I could see him and I could hear him trying to cry and everything, but they took him to NICU. He was there for three days. I got to see him right after I kind of recovered and everything, like after I gave birth and I recovered. So I got to see him maybe like an hour and a half later. And it was just really tough to see him like with all the tubes coming out of him. And that was like the first time I was really getting to see him for longer than, you know, two seconds. So that was really hard. And I just cried and I didn't really want to even try to hold him or anything because I just felt so upset about it. But yeah, he stayed for three days. He improved every day and was doing great by the end. So we got to take him home which felt really exciting. Of course, it also felt a little overwhelming as first time parents, you know, taking your baby home. You're like, what do I do? Yeah, right. <laughs> so it was pretty overwhelming at home. He was crying all the time. Like it just mm-hmm. felt like he would always cry. If he wasn't sleeping, he would just be crying. And I do have a history of having just like mild anxiety I'm a veterinarian. And so during vet school, I think my anxiety was kind of amplified and I've always done like some talk therapy here and there to sort of help manage my anxiety. But I felt like it was just amplified. Like when we got home with this newborn, him crying all the time, I just didn't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he he wasn't wanting to nurse well. So mm-hmm. I reached out to a lactation consultant She evaluated us and said he has a tongue tie and that should help if you get it, if you get it lasered. So we got that done, but I didn't really feel like it helped much. He would still cry all the time. He still, he would nurse, but he would like, he'd latch on, cry, come off, go back on, cry. So it just was like, it was very defeating all the time. Right. So can I ask a question about? Absolutely. um, Like it was, it sounds like the crying was all Mm -hmm. day. Yeah, that's Just, what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly constant. Um, yeah. Outside of you said the sleeping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he was just really colicky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was that, did that start like from the get-go? Like, I think, As soon as yeah. he came out kind of a thing? I think it did, yeah. I feel like it did. In the, if I can go back to sure. um, the NICU for a moment, mm-hmm. were you given, after that first bit of time where, mm-hmm. when you were first able to see him, yeah. was was somebody else with him or your... Yeah, my husband was. So he went to the NICU with him? Mm-hmm. With him, yeah. Okay. So then were you, after labor, were you kind of in the room by yourself? Yeah, I had a doula, so she was with me. So okay. I felt supported. Oh. Yeah. 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 That's like one really good reason to have a doula. Absolutely. Um, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there are so many good reasons, but for sure that's good. So you don't have to be alone if something like that happens. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So back to the NICU, your husband Mm -hmm. had been there Mm -hmm. um, with him. By the time you got to go see him, that feeling you described of kind Mm -hmm. of like not wanting to hold him, what can you, I guess if you have anything more to describe like what that felt like or why because I Mm -hmm. I think it's an important thing to highlight because other people have that experience too sure what everybody thinks is that Uh no matter when you see your baby Mm -hmm. you're gonna be like over the moon and elated and that's just not true um, Mm -hmm. for everybody so anyways that's kind of why I wanted to go back in and see what that was like for you and how you were able to get to a point where you did want to hold him Sure. I think it's just because I don't know. I just, I felt so bad for him just with all of like the tubes coming out of him and everything his IVs in. Mm. I just felt like he was really helpless and I felt like I couldn't like properly be there for him. Like I could be there and like hold his hand, you know, or whatever, but I couldn't like hold him and like nurse him or like have the experience that I envisioned for him. Mm-hmm. And so I felt helpless in that way. And it just made me really upset. Yeah, for sure. How, did it take a while before you were able to kind of have more contact with him or feel like you could do that? No, we went back to our room and slept for, I don't know, maybe like 
five hours. I had pumped some colostrum for them. So they were feeding him that. But after I woke up and kind of took a breather and spoke with my doula and my husband, I felt a little bit better. And then we went and saw him and he was doing a little bit better when we went and saw him for the second time. And then they were like, oh, do you want to hold him? And I was like, of course. And so that felt a lot better than the first time that I got to see him. Right. Okay. So so you had been in labor for Mm -hmm. days. So long. Um, Yeah. uh, For days. So you were exhausted. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I mean, that I think lack of of sleep is a really big component for Mm -hmm. a lot of people too. You don't have anything in you. Nothing. Uh, Yeah. Right. So sleep is magic. That helped. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for kind of going back to that. It's like a really important part of your experience. Yeah. Yeah. I would say it was, but yeah, so he got his tongue tie revised and I just didn't really help much. He still, he would nurse okay, but it was like, it would take forever to, mm-hmm. cause he would like latch on, cry, come off, cry, go on. And it just was, it was like, we were just struggling like that all the whole day. It felt like mm-hmm. he was also really colicky. So he's really gassy and had a lot of trapped gas. And then every night he had what my husband and I would call witching hour. Mm-hmm. So for like, I mean, it felt like probably three hours every night from like eight to 11, I would say he would just like cry, just Mm -hmm. cry and scream. Mm -hmm. And it was really tough. I mean, I felt like it, he probably was like that. I mean, it felt like three months every night. So I would like go upstairs in our room where the comfy glider was. And I would just like sit with him in there and like nurse him and hold him. And he would just like cry on and off for three hours. And then eventually I could get him to sleep and then I could go to sleep. But then he was up, you know, every couple of hours nursing. So it's like, I was just absolutely exhausted all the time. And he just was really colicky. He, if there were a couple nights where like he would scream so much that I was like, do I need to take him to the ER? Like what Mm -hmm. is going on? You know, what's wrong with him? I did take him to the doctor the next day, one time after he was like screaming for hours one night and they took a look at him and they were like, yeah, he's, he looks great. This is normal. Um, You know, this is just a normal part of like a colicky newborn basically, but I just, I felt so isolated because a lot of my friends were having babies around the same time. And I would bring up what was happening with my baby and they were like, Oh, you know, my baby's a little fussy, but that, you know, sounds like a lot. So I just felt kind of isolated (laughs) from everyone else. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. This episode is supported by ritual. I am by nature and nurture a bit skeptical. I have to see for myself if something works or if it's helpful before I just believe it whole cloth. And I'm open to trying things out to see for myself. And that includes finding strategies for my wellness. I have a historically low vitamin D, so it's important for me to take Ritual's Essential 18 because it has D3 in it. And their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin has several other high quality traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. What I love and have always loved about Ritual is that it's a female-founded company, and it's a B Corp, which means they're holding themselves accountable, and not just long-term, but also to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash momandmind. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mom and mind for 25% off. Support for today's episode comes from OneSkin. And for a limited time, my listeners get an exclusive 15% off OneSkin products using the code MIND when you check out at oneskin.co. Well, I've kept up my mini resolution of taking better care of my skin after consistently using OneSkin for several weeks and all is going well. I can't see what's going on at a cellular level, but I can tell you that my skin feels soft and healthy. But they did do some cool research that looked at before and after exposure of the OS1 peptide to skin cells, and the OneSkin scientists found that the peptide reverses skin's biological age. 
And you can even see that study by Zonari A. et al. in the NPJ Aging Journal. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code MIND at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code MIND. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. New year, healthier skin. That's one skin. That's really tough when there's no kind of direction. Um, mm-hmm. You can start to feel sort of like desperate for solutions. Absolutely. Like, what was that part of your journey like? Oh my gosh. Trying to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, that was tough. So my personality is like, I have to research everything. I want to know everything. I like to have a plan and everything. And so I would like research all this stuff and all these Facebook groups and online. And at one point I went down this rabbit hole of like, oh, he has reflux. Like he has silent reflux. And I was telling my husband that and he's like, no, I don't think he has that. And I was like, I really am convinced he has silent reflux. So I took him to the doctor and they were like, well, you know, we could try a medication. So I think we tried like omeprazole or something Mm -hmm. for like two weeks and it did nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was convinced that he had it. And yeah, I would just latch on to all these things, you know, I'd be like, oh, it's, you know, a a nursing aversion or it's Mm -hmm. reflux or it's so-and-so. But at the end of the day, looking back, like there was nothing specific that was causing his colic or him to just be so fussy. It's just how he was. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I was desperate for an answer. I was Mm -hmm. desperate to fix it because that's my type of personality. Like I want an answer. I want to Mm -hmm. fix it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I felt really helpless in that way. But I also, I would say I was afraid to accept help from like my husband or my mom, my family, my friends who were like, oh, we'll watch him for a few hours while you you know, go do whatever. And I would be like, no, no, it's okay. Because I was worried that he would get so upset without me. And maybe they wouldn't know how to care for him the way that I thought he needed to be cared for. Mm -hmm. So I really, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. And it got like, my feelings just turned into a lot of like resent toward my husband, because he he's in the military and he was doing a course at that time. So he would like still, you know, get to go in and do his classes and stuff. And I was like, wow, he gets to like be around people and he gets to be away from the baby. Not that I hated being with my baby, but like, it was just, you're right. Like I just felt trapped. And I even like ordered earplugs from Amazon because I was so sensitive to his crying, which I mean, that was kind of a red flag for me. I should have gathered that like, maybe I have some depression symptoms, but it's like, I wouldn't say his crying triggered me, but I was just so sensitive to him crying that like, I just couldn't take it all the time. And I just was extremely like overstimulated, overwhelmed, literally 24 seven. There wasn't a moment where I wasn't overwhelmed, even in the shower. Like my husband would hold him for an hour while I took a shower. I would just be like, just like stricken with anxiety in the shower thinking about like, okay, how, like, what can we do tonight to help him not cry? Or, you know, how can I better care for him? So it was just like these really intense yeah. like feelings. Like all consuming. Um, yeah. Just all the time in your it thoughts. It was. And- it was. Yeah. And it was translating over to like, I wasn't really caring for myself properly. So I felt like I never had time to eat and I would just mm-hmm. put it on the back burner because I'd be like, well, I have to take care of Roman. Like I can't, I don't have time to eat right now. Like I have to be a mom. Mm-hmm. So I ended up, I got on the scale a few months postpartum and I had lost like, I was like 15 pounds under my prenatal, under my weight before I got pregnant, mm-hmm. which was a big red flag to me because I haven't mm-hmm. weighed that little since like maybe college. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I was like, this is not good. I did end up reaching out to a postpartum therapist because I felt like, you know, my intense anxiety needed some attention, but just curious, did you know that that was a thing that there were therapists specifically for 
pregnancy and postpartum or did it, I didn't, did it like show up had in no your idea. search? Okay. No, I had no idea. It was my lactation consultant that in the same kind of firm where her consulting business was, they had postpartum therapists. So she's mm-hmm. the one that suggested that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's a great idea. So I did virtual appointments because again, I felt like I just felt trapped. Like I felt like I couldn't even leave the house unless there was a good reason. Like Roman has an appointment that I have to take him to, Mm -hmm. but I would get anxiety about that. I'd be like, well, he's going to cry on the way there. He's going to scream. Like, what am I going to do? So I, I didn't even want to leave the house. Like it, it was like, looking back, it was really bad. It's like kind of still in that three month. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's still in that window. And so luckily this postpartum therapist was like, oh, I can talk to you virtually. And I was like, okay, great. Mm -hmm. So I think we had three sessions, but honestly, unfortunately it wasn't helpful for me. She would kind of just talk about my anxiety and do like these worksheets and just be like, okay, where do you think your anxiety is stemming from? Okay. These are three exercises we can do to help your anxiety. And like, it just absolutely did nothing for me. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because I was really depressed and I probably needed more than just talk therapy. I probably needed some medication at that time. But it also, looking back, it does make me a little bit sad that she never brought up like that I potentially could have postpartum depression or that maybe thinking about medication would be a good idea for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I was just putting on like a really good front with her or what, where she didn't feel like maybe I didn't need that or something, but I really wish she had maybe dove into that a little bit more. So I could have gotten more help sooner, mm-hmm. but yeah, I would say after that, going back to me kind of being that person that has to have all the answers and know everything. I, um, read a book. I didn't read a book. I listened to it on audiobook while I was rocking my crying baby. (laughs) But I listened to this book. It was called The Postnatal Depletion Cure. And that is a book that made me realize I think I have postpartum depression. And so it was talking about postnatal depletion, which I didn't really know was a thing. Um, It was saying that basically having postnatal depletion can increase your chances of postpartum depression and postnatal depletion. The symptoms were things like being hypervigilant, brain fog, being frustrated, anxious, overwhelmed. So at first when I was listening to the book, I thought, okay, I have postnatal depletion. Maybe I need to look into like my minerals because I know you lose a certain percentage of your minerals when you're pregnant so it's like, okay, maybe I'm low on like zinc or... Sorry. So the, the sure. premise of the book is that mm-hmm. there's like a physiological right. part that, mm-hmm. and, and it's attending to that. Exactly. Okay. Right. Yeah. So at first when I was listening to the book, I was like, oh, maybe I have postnatal depletion and I need to, you know, do these exercises that they're telling me about, or I need to get my zinc checked or my copper, iron, whatever. And then further into the book, it kind of identified like postpartum depression versus postnatal depletion. And it sort of went through this checklist and I was like, oh, check, check, check. And it was saying stuff like insomnia in the middle of the night, which was me to a T. Like I was barely getting any sleep because my baby would wake up, I would nurse him, and then I would lay back down to go to sleep and I could not sleep. Eyes because wide I, open. Yeah. yeah. Just like wide yeah. open. Yeah. Like tired. I, exactly. Yeah. I just, I couldn't get any sleep. And it was also going over. Sorry, but you were exhausted, sure. right? Oh, absolutely. Like exhausted. You, it wasn't like you were awake and had energy. Oh, no. Zero energy. Like yeah. absolutely exhausted, needed to be sleeping. Mm could not sleep. Mm -hmm. And then it was saying it was going over this postpartum depression checklist. It was like, you know, crying a lot, anxiety all the time, feeling, you know, sadness, no energy. And I was like, yep, check, 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 feeling hopeless, mm -hmm, check, weight loss or appetite changes. Yep, check. So I was like, maybe I am depressed. (laughs) And I also I would say I also had intense feelings of like, loss of identity at that time. Again, this is still in those first like three to four months postpartum, but I just felt like I was literally existing to take care of my baby. And there was like nothing else at the time, like for me to be 
existing for. Right. I didn't feel like suicidal or anything, but I felt like I literally existed to like attend to him. Right. That was accurate. Mm-hmm. And you, that was yeah. all, all that you were doing. All that, that was you literally were thinking it. about yeah. kind of like mm-hmm. hyper-focused on. Right. Yeah. yeah. I also felt really isolated, even though I had a lot of friends who had just had babies. My best friend had just had a baby four months prior. And, but I still like, even though I talked to them a lot, I felt so isolated because I just felt like I don't want to burden them with everything going on with me because it seems like they're doing okay. Like they're actually going out, you know, into public and stuff. And I just felt so much anxiety that I couldn't, like, I couldn't even like go outside and like talk to my neighbor down the street because I felt so much anxiety about taking the baby out of the house. Like it was really bad, but I felt like I didn't want to burden all my friends with like everything that was happening. So I would tell them like bits and pieces, but I never really told them like the full like scope of what was going on with me at that time. So I felt really isolated kind of by my own doing, but yeah. Right. I mean, by your own doing. Yeah. But because of what you were going through, like mm-hmm. this isn't right. like you were like, yeah, yeah, this feels great to be mm-hmm. inside all the mm-hmm. time. I actually mm-hmm. hate going out. I think it's hard in those periods of time and in those moments because it, while, yeah, you can say, yes, it was your own doing. It was something that you were doing. It's not like an intentional thing. Right. It feels like yeah, not at all. It feels like your yeah. only choice. It was. Yeah, that's how it felt to me at that time, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I even had like, because I felt so kind of trapped, as you said earlier, and just sort of like I wasn't existing for anything other than, than to take care of my baby. I literally had like, I downloaded one of those countdown apps on my phone and had a countdown of like, okay, this is when he turns four months. So he'll be more interactive and maybe won't be crying all the time. This is when he turns six months. So maybe he'll cry less. This is eight months. Maybe he'll like be really interactive with me. And so I literally had a countdown of like every month because like I had nothing to look forward to. And I was just, I was crying all the time. Like I just was really in a rut. I just want to note that how I think I am always mm-hmm. so amazed by people who are in intense suffering mm-hmm. and they, like you're describing, finding something to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if anybody suggested that to you, but it sounds like it came from inside that mm-hmm. like you just needed something. I did. Absolutely. Like, yeah, even though it feels horrible and, mm-hmm. and hopeless and, and helpless, there's still like that thing that, you know, people try to hold mm-hmm. on to something. And I, yeah. I just think it's, I don't know, the human condition is a trip, but like that mm-hmm. is an amazing part of what I see in this postpartum period of really trying to, like, what can I hold on to as a lifeline? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and, mm-hmm. um, so that was at least one of them that you've For found. sure. Yep. That was like really the only thing. And I will also know I never had a postpartum checkup at my hospital because they didn't have any appointments available until like middle of December. So I would have been like 12 weeks postpartum. What? Um, yeah. So I birthed at a military hospital and they're extremely busy. And for some reason they didn't schedule me a postpartum checkup before I left the hospital. I feel like a lot of places might do that, but they didn't. Um, and so when I called to schedule it, I also will note when I was birthing, I didn't tear at all, which was great. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I called to schedule, they were like, oh, we're booking, you know, out until December. And I was like, oh, but I'm, you know, that's more than six weeks postpartum. You know, I think I need to be seen before that. Yeah. And they were like, we have nothing. And so wow. they booked me in like December and I didn't end up going to it. I was like 12 weeks postpartum, um, but I didn't feel like they could really help me because to me, it felt like they didn't even care enough to like schedule me six weeks postpartum. Mm. Um, So I just didn't even go to it. And I just also had anxiety about like leaving the house and I just felt like they weren't going to help me or anything. So I didn't go. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you felt I was going to insert what I think you felt, mm-hmm. but like, how did you feel? Like, was it like a, a letdown or a mm-hmm. I would mistrust say, or? 
Yeah, I would say it was a letdown that they did to me. I mean, I get like they're a military hospital. They're extremely busy, probably taking more patients than they should. But like they're understaffed or. Yeah, I think they're probably also understaffed, I would assume. I don't know that. But yeah, I just felt like, okay, if they can't even work in like a six week postpartum mom into like the correct, you know, time frame, then they, you know, they're probably, I bet they just don't, you know, what are they going to do at my appointment? Like, they're probably going to just look at me and be like, okay, looks, you know, you look fine. You didn't tear. So there's really nothing to check. So you're good. So I just felt like, and again, like I should have gone, you know, I know they do that screening for postpartum depression, like the sheet you fill out. Mm-hmm. So maybe they could have caught it then. But luckily, a couple weeks after that, so in now it's end of December, beginning of January. Mm-hmm. So my husband, as I said, he's in the military, he was finishing up some training that he had to do. So he was about to leave for three weeks in January. Mm-hmm. And I still was in, you know, intense anxiety, like not doing great. So my mom was going to come in and help me for like a week and a half before she started class back. She's a professor at a college. Mm-hmm. So she was going to come in and help me. But before my husband left, I was like, I have to like get some sort of help. Like I, I need help. Like I realized like I really need help. Did anybody know that you were struggling? My mom did. My husband did. Some of my friends did. I don't know that I told them the full scope. I mean, my husband knew the full Mm -hmm. scope and my mom did, Mm -hmm. but I would say maybe that's it. Mm-hmm. then. And my mom, I don't think she struggled with postpartum depression. So I don't know that she knew that like, Hey, you might need to think about, you know, seeing someone and maybe talking about medication or something. Mm-hmm. And my husband, he was helpful and everything and he meant well, but he is not a woman. So I don't think he really understood the scope mm-hmm. of like everything. He just knew I was struggling a lot. Mm-hmm. So because we have military insurance is kind of hard to get into like your primary care provider on base. Sometimes you have to reach out to like, you have to go through a lot to get in to see them. So I felt like I didn't know if I could get in right away to see someone before he left. And I felt like I really needed, like I reached a point where I was like, I think I need like medication, like mm-hmm. postpartum or like anti-anxiety medication. And I have never taken anti-anxiety medication and nothing like that, even though I did have anxiety before this, I'd never been on medication. So I did reach a point where I was like, I think I need medication. So I was looking on Google and all of these websites were coming up where like you can connect with a doctor online. And so I ended up like making an appointment that night to connect with a doctor online. Mm-hmm. And it was a woman, she was really nice. And I talked about what was happening and she was like, I think you need a medication. Like, it seems like you have postpartum depression. And I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, great. Mm -hmm. So she wrote me a prescription or she actually, I think she called it into my pharmacy and I picked it up the next day and I started it the next day and it took about two weeks for me to start feeling better, but I did start feeling better within those two weeks. And then I would say it took a few months to really like feel happy again and feel like a ton better. But eventually I did and I feel so much better now, but it did take a little bit and it obviously took a lot of time for me to come to terms with the fact that like, maybe I need more than just talk therapy or like, I truly need help. And yeah. So I would say that's kind of what got me to get on medication. Right. So this is, you said about four months. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Four it was months. Um, September. So three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A little over three months postpartum. Mm-hmm. This episode is supported by Hungry Root. I am a creature of habit when it comes to food. Like I buy the same stuff in the store and generally make the same stuff over and over. Not really that fun. So in order to shake things up, I use Hungry Root. I can pick a whole meal and they send me what I need to make it, but I will also just let them choose so I don't get into my rut. And it paid off. I got the chicken shawarma non-flatbread. These are flavors that I wouldn't have thought to put together on my own and they totally work. It was so yummy and so easy to make. And bonus, I also received for free organic roasted chicken breast that I threw into a salad for another meal. 
Hungry Root is my partner in healthy and yummy living. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Mom and Mind listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to HungryRoot.com slash cat to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's HungryRoot.com slash cat. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. This episode is supported by Factor. Eating better is better with ready-to-eat Factor meals. And ready-to-eat means pop it in the microwave for two minutes and done. I mix in a few of these meals into my rotation for the days that we're on the run or that I don't want to make anything. I chose the high-protein and calorie-smart options, one of which is the mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice with garlic roasted green beans. This is restaurant quality and so tasty. I can adjust how many meals I get in my order as much or as little as I need every week. Plus, I can pause or reschedule my deliveries anytime, which comes in really handy for our busy schedule. Head to factormeals.com slash momandmind50 and use code momandmind50 to get 50% off. That's code momandmind50 at factormeals.com slash momandmind50 to get 50% off. Was any part of your experience, like, I guess, prior to taking medication, I guess, stigma about medication or stigma Mm -hmm. about depression or anxiety at all? A hundred percent. Yeah. I would say there was definitely a stigma around getting on medication. I, again, like I had a lot of friends that had babies around the same time. I had friends that, you know, had kids that were a little bit older. As I said, my best friend had just had a baby. It was actually her fourth baby. So she was taking care of that baby. She had three kids and she just seemed like so happy and she was doing it all. And so I just thought I should be able to to take care of one child, you know, like she's taking care of four. And I didn't really, I don't think I knew anyone who was on anti-anxiety medications or like who had postpartum depression, who had gotten on medication for it maybe one person, but most people I knew weren't on it. So I just felt like, yeah, I know I had a really fussy baby, but maybe these feelings, these intense feelings of anxiety and other really intense feelings, maybe they would just pass over time. Mm -hmm. But I also knew that I had something more than just like baby blues because baby blues are only a couple weeks postpartum. And at first I thought that's what was going on. I was like, Oh, I have the baby blues, but I mean, this obviously lasted for months. So I knew something more was going on, but definitely I, I felt like there's kind of a stigma around starting medications for postpartum depression. And again, I didn't know anyone else on them. So I felt like maybe I didn't need to be on them. Maybe I could get by without them but I realized I couldn't. And then after getting on them, I kind of shared what was happening with people close to me. And actually my stepsister reached out to me like a month after. And she's like, thank you so much for sharing your story. Like I just got on an anti-anxiety medication and it's helping me. So I was like, great. I'm glad I could, you know, my story can help people, but you're right. I mean, to me, there was like a stigma around starting medications for that because to me it was like, you know, if you can't find other ways to help yourself, like uh, talk therapy, meditation, you know, stuff, functional medicine, stuff like that, like, you know, the medication is just a band aid, but it isn't like it truly is. Helpful. Right. I, yeah, I hear that too, that a lot, unfortunately, too much that, oh, if I take a medication, it's just mm-hmm. gonna like, I'm not really dealing with Right. That's what I hear a lot. Yeah. It sucks that that is like a prevalent narrative. Right. Yeah. um, It's actually the quite the opposite. Like sometimes the anxiety or depression or symptoms you're experiencing are so intense that you can't deal with the like whatever the underlying thing, Mm -hmm. like going back to like when you got those like anxiety management Mm -hmm. tools. Right. I find especially with anxiety, if it's at Mm -hmm. that level, Mm-hmm. The the tools are like, don't touch it. Um, Not at all. Because yeah. you can't even focus enough to do the thing. Exactly. Like, so once you're like, the intensity comes down mm-hmm. a little bit, then you might be able to do whatever, whatever it right. is. Not necessarily sure. like those particular tools, but whatever it is that can deepen or enhance your healing in whatever way mm-hmm. you need. Yeah. Which includes getting sleep. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I started getting more of and right. it was great. Right. So the medication helped mm-hmm. manage the anxiety enough that mm-hmm. you could sleep. So yes. That you could sleep. Yeah. yeah. So I actually, you know, when, when my baby would wake up during the night, I would be able to help him and then go back to sleep right after and not lay there awake for hours. So that's brutal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Brutal when you don't get the sleep. It, it, it is absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was really helpful. And I also was eventually able to go back to work, which felt really good. Mm-hmm. Finally. I mean, I had, I actually, before I gave birth, I quit my job at my vet clinic because I wanted to stay at home for, I don't know, like six months or something. And I mean, I really wanted to go back to work, but when I was, when I had the intense anxiety and depression, I just felt like there's absolutely no way I'm going to be able to go back to work. So luckily I was able to be out of work for four months or so, five months, and then eventually I guess he was six months old. I was able to go back to work, but I felt good and happy and like really happy to be back at work. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if I wasn't on the medication, I don't even think I would have been able to be at work. Like I don't think I would have been okay. So it really helped me in more ways than one. Like it truly changed my life and really helped me. And I also like, again, I told you that I like to research things and I like to know everything. Mm-hmm. So I did just want to say that I realized that I was uh, me being like a white female. I realized that I was really privileged and that I was easily able to find like an online doctor, make an appointment that day, just pay out of pocket for my appointment. And the doctor didn't like question how I was feeling. She trusted that I was feeling this way and she immediately got me the medication. Whereas I know that like sometimes for moms of other like races, other than, you know, Caucasian, they have like the lack of kind of services available and people don't always believe that they're feeling a certain way. And so I know that they're less likely to receive like a a proper diagnosis of postpartum depression and get the help they need. So I do want to just, just say that like I was privileged in that, I was able to get the help I need, but some people aren't and, um, you know, it's not always fair. So, right. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for bringing in that point. You're, you're very right. Um, it is quite unfortunate that like women of color Mm -hmm. have often are discounted their feelings. So, I mean, it's one of the reasons why people getting training in perinatal mental health, but also Mm -hmm. like these underlying factors and uh, racism and systemic oppression and those issues are super real and also another reason why it's necessary to have more providers of color Mm -hmm. that are yeah that are trained absolutely thank you for bringing that in absolutely yeah so for for your experience with Mm -hmm. medication the first medication that was prescribed was Mm -hmm. the one that worked yeah yeah it did Mm -hmm. yeah it worked and yeah, it's been great. I'm still on it. And I feel like I'll probably be on it for a long time, just because of how helpful it is. I feel like I can function again. I feel happy. I can be a good mom. I can be a good veterinarian. Like I'm able to be a good wife. So I feel like it is very helpful. Yeah. I have a, I guess, kind of a side question, but not really like is I know that there's a higher also prevalence rate Mm -hmm. of postpartum depression and perinatal mental health Mm -hmm. conditions for people who are in the military, but also military spouses. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't, sometimes that's because of like deployment or they're right. Yeah. They don't have the support. So it sounds like your husband was able to be there. Yeah. So it wasn't like a kind of a Mm -hmm. lack of like him. Right. Right. Yeah. That issue. Yeah. Um, Right. Yeah. So he was able to be there, which was great. Yeah. Was there any additional pressure around you as a spouse, a military spouse dealing with something like postpartum depression? Did you feel any like of that, I guess, um, pressure or stigma or that you, I don't know. I'm just curious if any mm-hmm. of like that part of military culture around mental health impacted your experience mm-hmm. or was that like way outside of Sure. Of your experience. Yeah. I don't think it impacted it too much. 
Yeah. I mean, I did kind of feel like, again, I was lucky. Like my husband was able to be with us the whole time he was doing his classes and stuff here. So we didn't have to be gone until I was like three months postpartum, but he was only gone for three weeks, which was fine. But you know, there are some women who their husbands are gone for most of their pregnancy. They're deployed or they're deployed right after they have the baby. And yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I was like, well, that's, you know, I don't have to struggle with that. So that's great. But, you know, maybe there's other women struggling more than me when their spouses have to be gone, you know, for so long or gone right after baby is born or something. Yeah, sure. That might be true for some folks. I just Mm -hmm. overall, I know there's a different view on mental health within the military. So I um, wasn't sure if that like trickled into your experience or not, but thankfully it doesn't sound like it did. Yeah, I don't think it did. Right, and, and it's not like you needed another thing to make you right. feel worse. Exactly. You were yeah. plenty bad. Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah. So your experience, medication was a big part, a big help for you. And as you were saying before, as we were talking about before, there is stigma. What do you hope that, or what would you like to say, or what do you hope that other people who are struggling with anxiety What do you want them to know? And in particular about medication? Sure. That's a good question. I would say what I want you to know is like, I see you and I hear you. All the women that are struggling with postpartum anxiety and possibly postpartum depression. I mean, it's extremely hard, but I would say getting on anti-anxiety medication truly has changed my life. And I don't think I would be where I am today without it. And I just want other women to know that you're not alone. You may feel isolated and yeah, your friends probably aren't having the same experience as you, but you're really not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know, have gone through this and there have been numerous other women who have, and I really just encourage other women who are struggling to be an advocate for themselves. If you feel like you aren't being listened to, you feel like your talk therapist, like it's not going the direction or your talk therapy, if you don't, if you feel like it's not going the direction you think it should be, you know, if you feel like there's other therapies that might help you, then I encourage you to look into them. And if you feel like you need to be on medication, it's not a bad thing. Like it really, for me, it's been great. And yeah, I mean, I just encourage you to just be an advocate for yourself. And then I also would say, I know I shared my, the little tidbit about my stepsister getting on medication after I did, and she said it helped her a lot. And they're also one of my other friends who had a baby a little bit after me, maybe four months after me, she ended up sharing that she also got on the same anti-anxiety medication that I got on, not because she knew that I got on it, but she just randomly shared that she was Mm -hmm. on it. And I was like, oh, I'm on that same medication. And it made me feel better about it because she is also a veterinarian with me. And she's someone that I really look up to. And to me, like on the outside, it just seems like she has it all. And she has this great family. She's so smart. Like she's just amazing. And so I guess to me, you know, her telling me that she was struggling with the like similar feelings that I was and that medication has also helped her kind of made that stigma, you know, feel less and feel like it, it, you know, it's okay. So it, yeah, I mean, it really is okay to get on medications. Like you might truly need it. So. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that and sharing all of your experience. I know that it will help a lot of people. I mean, personally, like even people that I'm meeting with have a kind of a similar trajectory with the, Mm -hmm. the colic and how, stressful it is and Mm -hmm. how little you sleep and how much you worry. And it's just so amazing to me how much strength it requires to Mm -hmm. keep going when you feel that bad. Absolutely. Um, And Mm -hmm. the irony of it is that you've kind of can feel weak and Mm -hmm. feel less than or feel like you're whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. feeling bad about yourself. It's super hard to see just how hard you're working in those times. So for sure. Thank you for sharing your story and coming on with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
please get connected with Victoria on Instagram at victoriav.vet. If not you yourself, I'm sure you know somebody who has struggled with the decision to take medication for depression or anxiety or any other mental health condition. Because the stigma is so great and unwarranted, it really prevents people from getting the help that they need. So please share this episode so that people can understand what kind of barriers they're experiencing in relation to getting medication or getting the help that they need. And also hear that it's okay to get help and specifically through medication, if that's what you and your doctor decide. On another note, for those of you who haven't yet tuned into my new podcast series called Behind the Sessions, please do. Every other Thursday, you will hear new episodes from me talking about what happens behind the sessions in therapy, what people are bringing into the therapy sessions and how people are seeking help. It's one thing for sure to hear stories. And that is so important for us to understand that we are not alone. And I want to deepen that and help you understand how healing can happen. So that's what we'll be attending to on that series. And you don't need to do anything different. If you are already subscribed to the mom and mind podcast, then you'll get notification of those episodes when they drop. And I will also of course be posting about it on social media, on Instagram and Facebook, and as well as TikTok. All right. Thank you so much for being with us until next time. Please find the Mom and Mind podcast on momandmind.com or wellmindperinatal.com, where you can also find access to my free online mini course that is specifically designed for people experiencing anxiety in the postpartum period. Or you can learn more about the three and a half hour self-paced course that I created just for managing postpartum stress. You can also connect with us on social media at Mom and Mind on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for tuning in and learning more about perinatal mental health. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.